Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. This morning's scripture is from Luke chapter 22, 47 through 53. The betrayal and arrest of Jesus. While he was still speaking, suddenly a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, is it with a kiss that you are betraying the Son of Man? When those who were around him saw what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple police, and the elders who had come for him, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. How you doing? Oh wow, this is the audience participation part. Hey, how you doing? Okay, good. My name is uh, Brittany, I'm your pastor, and it is so good to be here on a beautiful day. Let us start with prayer. God, for the gift of air that is in our lungs and propels us into this mystery of life, we give you thanks. Quell our fears in this moment that we might open our hearts and our minds and our ears to your way, to your possibilities in all that is before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So about 10 years ago, my younger brother, I don't know exactly what he was doing, but he somehow tripped and fell and twisted his knee really badly. Um, unfortunately for him, he his bedroom was on the second floor of my parents' house. And so that meant that instead of taking the stairs um, one leg after another, like most people do, he um, had to start taking them one leg at a time so that he wasn't in further injuring the knee. He would walk up the stairs just one leg at a time, dragging the, the hurt knee after him. Several months went by. Medically, his knee was completely healed. And yet still 10 years later, my brother ascends the stairs one leg at a time, even though there's nothing wrong with his knee. This is actually like a medical thing. It's called a fear avoidance model. I am no physician, but apparently it's a thing. Um, in order to avoid chronic pain, we augment our bodies in a way that prevents us from feeling pain. And the thing is, it gets reinforced because right when we're, we're doing this, we don't feel pain, and so therefore we think we should continue doing this, right? 
Uh, and so this is really fascinating, and uh, it, it can get so bad that we stop using a muscle and then it deteriorates, right? So this is fascinating, and I think about it physically, and then I was thinking, like, actually, this is, there's implications in this idea spiritually and emotionally, socially, like how we are in relationship with each other. Are there ways that we overcompensate? Or are there things that we avoid doing out of fear of getting hurt? Are there ways that we engage in relationships with people or in our relationship with God that we think is saving us from pain? What is it that we fear? And how have we rearranged our life in a way that is trying to avoid that pain? These are big questions, right? Fear is a very real thing. And our scripture passage today is layered with fear. Now that word fear is not actually in the text, but if you look at all that transpires in this scene, I can't help but think that fear was the primary motivating factor of many of the actions that happened. So let's look at it real quick. There's Judas. He's a follower of Jesus. He is... Um, someone that has been waiting for the Messiah to come, someone that believed Jesus was that person. And then he begins to fear that maybe he was wrong. He fears that Jesus isn't going to start the revolution that he thought. He fears that he has put his trust into the wrong guy. And so what does he do? He makes a plan and turns Jesus over to the chief priests. To see the fear in Judas. And then there's also Jesus' followers. They are backed into a corner, right? Surrounded by the chief priests and the elders and the guards. And they, uh, they see their hope and dream of Jesus, the Messiah, begin to fade before their very eyes. With Jesus gone, they fear that things are going to go back to the way they used to be. They fear that there will be no revolution. So one of them grabs a sword and strikes the servant of the high priest. Out of their own fear, they lash out and wound another person. And finally, there's the action of the temple guards and the chief priests and elders. Jesus has been teaching in the temple day after day. Thousands and thousands of people have gathered to hear him teach. And the, the chief elders and temple guards... They don't approach him because they're scared of the crowds. They're scared that there might be a riot. So what do they do? They wait for Jesus to be sort of secluded. They wait for a time when he can be outnumbered. And then they sweep in to arrest him, to arrest this man who incited so much hope. They arrest him because they are afraid of the power of his words and the vision that he has proclaimed, God's reign. They're afraid of it. Everyone in the story seems to be motivated by fear, except Jesus. Jesus, the prince of peace, the calm in the storm, the healer of all those who are wounded, having been betrayed by one of his closest companions, because I've said this before, who do you give the money to? The person you trust the most, right? Judas was the money keeper having been betrayed by one of his closest companions, 
instead of recoiling back in fear, Jesus calmly speaks to Judas and says, Judas, is it with a kiss that you're going to betray the Son of Man? And then he turns to the disciple who lashed out of their fear and, and sliced off an ear. And he says, no more of this. But not only does he stand up and say, no more of this, no more violence, he turns to that injured guard and touches the servant's ear and heals him. He heals the very person who should have been his enemy. In this action, I see the true love and grace of Jesus. He's not just saying we won't have violence. He is actually seeking out and finding those who have great pain and suffering and offering healing. That's who Jesus is, right? Someone who brings healing to us and offers us wholeness of life. We've all been in the scene, have we not? Thank you, Jarrell. One person said yes. <laughs> we come to many situations with fear, right? And it plays out in a number of ways. Maybe sometimes we are the one who is so rooted in our fear that we have lashed out and actually hurt other people. Maybe sometimes we're so rooted in our fear that we uh, betray the one that we love. It's in this scene, though, that we meet Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the calm in the storm, the healer of those who are wounded. It is in this scene that we meet Jesus who saves us from ourselves and the ones around us, saying firmly but gently, no more of this. And, and then doing this ridiculously radical, beautiful thing, touching our very places of woundedness, Jesus becomes the salve. That's where the word salvation comes from, salve, healing ointment. Jesus becomes the balm of Gilead that will bring healing to every place of pain. So the question becomes then, can we trust Jesus with all of the mess of our lives? Can we trust Jesus with all of the mess of our lives? So, in some ways, we can say, yeah, yeah, I can trust Jesus. Yes. But the thing is, we, this community, are the hands and feet of Christ. We're what we call the body of Christ. We are the physical representation, the physical presence of Jesus in this world for each other. So then the question becomes, can we trust this community? with all of our stuff, <laughs> right? Can we trust this community? Can we live in faith or already anticipating fear? Do we end up going through this life one step at a time? Do we end up communicating? Uh, relating into this community one step at a time, dragging what we think might be injured behind us, right? What do we do? Now, some of y'all might say, well, Brittany, there's a biological reason for our fear. 
it's like an evolutionary trait. You know, our ancestors, if they didn't have fear, they would have been stampeded by elephants or something. So we have to have fear so that, you know, we stay safe from the elephant stampede, right? We anticipate fear and it keeps us safe, right? Nobody seems to get what I'm saying. Yes, okay. But I would say sure, but now we don't like actually have elephant stampedes anymore. And maybe that was something that was sort of evolved in us over time, but, but have we let it run our life? Y'all didn't like that example. The first service was good with it, but y'all are like, <laughs> elephants? Why did you bring up elephants? You know what I'm saying though, right? We, fear stunts us, and we augment our life to try to protect ourselves from getting hurt. Fear causes us to pull back from community and from others precisely when we should be leaning in to community and others. Fear tells us we're too much, that our needs are too much, that our pain is too much, and that nobody can handle it. But Jesus tells us we're enough and that the community is what will help bring about healing and wholeness. This is a message that um, I tell you today, but it is a message that was told the century before, and the century before, and the century before, all the way back to Jesus, right? This is a message that has crossed millennia, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the calm in the storm, the healer that brings us wholeness. Earlier this week on November 1st, well, on October 31st, how many of y'all celebrated Halloween? I saw more Facebook pictures than that, y'all. Okay. As Christians, we can enjoy Halloween. And the day after that, we celebrate a very holy day called All Saints Day. It is the day that the, that the church remembers, as St. Paul in Hebrews 12 calls the great cloud of witnesses. Those who have been testifying and sharing about the good news of God from generation to generation to generation. Those who's on, on whose faith we rest, on whose shoulders we rest, that um, encourage us and cheer us on and surround us when our pain, when our hurt is too much. It is the saints of the church that tell us to keep going, to continue to trust in community, to continue to trust in Jesus. So I want to give you guys a few minutes um, to actually reflect on this idea with, with someone next to you. Um, I want to have you reflect, especially at, as it relates to trusting in the grace and peace of Christ instead of the emotional fear and pain of, of um, our life. Okay. So now, a group activity in and of itself can be a big, fearful activity. So if you're feeling a little anxious, that's okay. Just invite the Prince of Peace to come sit next to you. You're going to be okay. I've got a couple questions, if you could throw them up on the screen. And I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding, y'all. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to share some of these questions, but I'm going to ask you to be brave and to try it. So 
with one other person who in the great cloud of witnesses taught you that Jesus is the healer of those who are wounded? Who helped you to walk forward in faith despite fear that you may have had? So those are kind of the same question. Okay. And then after you guys have both shared that or, or you know, however you want to do it, assuming there's something you're fearful about, I, I'm going out on a limb, but I'm guessing that everybody has some sort of fear be it the election that's coming up, or a relationship that you're struggling through, or um, a job thing that you're going through. I'm guessing everybody's holding something inside, some sort of fear. What would you, if you can name that, and then think about what is it that that person would say to you today? What might they say to you today? And then after you've done that, so if that's not, that might be really scary for you or this next part might be. I invite you to, with that other person, uh, pray with each other, giving thanks to God for the great cloud of witnesses that continues to surround and encourage and cheer you on. Does that sound okay? A little scary? A little exciting? Five minutes, okay? Go. All right, y'all. What was the hardest part? Was it? There's still a few folks that are praying, so I want to kind of keep a somber attitude while some folks finish up praying. Um, what was the hardest part? Was it sharing your fear? Was it sharing about the saint in your life? Was it praying together? Yes. <laughs> yes, all of that. Yeah. Sharing your fear, naming it out loud. Yeah. Will you all um, continue to pray for your partner this week? Yeah, cool. Maybe you already were. <laughs> um, so I want to end today with a story that's about my family. But I'm also going to talk about the Cubs. And so... <laughs> so... <laughs> But bear with me, because this is not going to be a story about how the Cubs helped Chicago to finally have a World Series champion baseball team, because the White Sox did that 11 years ago. Uh, so uh, can, can White Sox fans like know that, um, that it's not a story about that? Because <laughs> I know, you know, can we be a, a both-and congregation here today and not a either-or? Yes? Is there any White Sox fan here? OK, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this is a story about my grandfather giving witness to something that never seemed possible. So you may have heard, but the Cubs are kind of known as the lovable losers. For my entire life, they've actually never been in a World Series. For my dad's entire life, they've actually never been in a World Series. For my grandpa's life, they we're in the World Series. He, we were speculating. He must have probably heard them on the radio because people didn't travel at that time. And, you know, um, and perhaps you know, hearing them in the World Series on the radio, uh, perhaps that was just a little taste of glory divine that, um, that fueled him to root for the lovable losers for the next 60-some years. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But my grandfather loved baseball. Loved it. 
I can, I can still remember every time going to their house during baseball season, he'd have the TV on but turned down and the radio on because they were better sportscasters. And that's how we, anybody else have family like that? Just, yeah. And, and my dad does the same thing, turn the volume down and he listened to the radio. Um, and so this love of baseball and specifically the Cubs was passed from my grandfather to his four children, including my dad. And to the many grandchildren, though, I think I do have a couple cousins that live near St. Louis, and so oh, I try not to talk about it too much, but I think they might have rooted for the Cardinals. Every year, at the end of the season, I would witness him in some sort of patient endurance of lust and trust that maybe next year would be the year. Y'all know that. You've, you've got family that's been saying that too, right? So my grandfather died about four years ago. And it was, it was two weeks after my daughter Ruby was born. So this was a, this is what the Celtic Christians would have called a thin place. It was this time of birth and death and, and catching and experiencing the mystery of God. That You know, you know how you, you walk through life and sometimes it's hard to connect to God and sometimes you live in this time of really thin, you know, it's a thin veil and so that, that, that month or so, just before my grandfather died and um, after Ruby was born and his funeral was one of those thin times. His funeral was a great celebration of his life and giving thanks to God uh, and remembering how important my grandfather's faith was. I, I can still remember going to church with he and my grandmother and hearing his baritone voice as he sang all of the songs. And he passed that faith on to... Um, my parents, and then to us grandchildren. So I think I just, I just want to honor that. Like, that's great. Uh, there was also there was a collage of pictures at his funeral, and it was a lot of things. He was also a farmer, so it honored that. And there was also a picture of him wearing Chicago Cubs hat, right? Lots of pictures. You know how those funerals are? Lots of pictures. So fast forward to Thursday when people started travel, or was it Wednesday? My, my time. It's, a, it's been a thin time for me. I've lost track of days of the week. Um, fast forward to Wednesday when people started making the journey to Wrigley Field. And uh, they were going there to celebrate, and I don't know who started it, but somebody took some chalk and wrote the name of someone that they had loved who lived an entire life and never saw the Cubs win a World Series. And, he, and, and they wrote the name on the wall. And then somebody else did the same thing, and somebody else did the same thing. And before you knew it, if you could throw up the first two pictures. First one's kind of blurry, but still. Before you know it, look at the wall, y'all. Just filled. The next one's better, because it's, yeah. Uh, just name after name of people who lived and rooted for the Cubs and died, never seeing them win. And uh, so it, it was such a big deal. This is just a glimpse of it that uh, people were like climbing on shoulders of people to get up high. There was a ladder out and they, it started to become dangerous and so the city barricaded it. So you couldn't, or maybe it was Wrigley Field, I don't know. Somebody barricaded it so that you couldn't actually get to the wall. So we didn't know this. We went and uh, celebrated in the parade. I, I convinced, I publicly, um, campaign for my dad to come up. I made a Facebook post and was like, everybody, tell him, tell him why he should come up. Because my dad's the kind of guy that um, he takes a year to think about maybe buying a car. 
a new car, and then maybe another year to make a decision on the car. So really, by the time he buys a car, he drives it for, you know, years, I don't know, and then he, he take, it takes two years to get him to the point from when he decides maybe he should maybe think about it. You get it. Like, he, he does not make decisions fast. So I called him up and I said, you got to come. And he only had like three hours to make a decision. So I think what convinced him was my aunt's writing on that Facebook, you got to go for dad. So he came, we went down to the parade, and uh, I serendipitously, after the parade, we walked to Wrigley Field, and I serendipitously found this piece of chalk. And I was like, oh, we're going to ride on the wall. And so uh, we got up and we saw it was barricaded. And so what did I do? I wrote on the cement my grandpa's name. And I was like, that's kind of lame, but what else can I do? So then we rounded the corner, and there was like an apartment building. Nothing to do with Wrigley Field. <laughs> and people, the na- it was plastered with names. And so I wrote my grandpa's name there, because that felt better than on the sidewalk. And then we rounded the corner to the front of the stadium, and uh, the front of the stadium was starting to fill up with names. And so my dad got to write Ron Dodd, my grandpa's name there, as a witness to someone who had hoped and dreamed and had this vision for something that he never saw the fruition of. Now, y'all, first of all, second of all, whatever, I know this is just baseball, okay? So I'm I'm not trying to make baseball into something it's not. But do you see how this is like the great cloud of witnesses and saints that we talk about in the Christian tradition? Do you see how on this day that we get to celebrate the saints of this church, we give thanks for their faith and their witness to to testifying about Jesus being the Prince of Peace? to testifying that that Jesus is the calm in the storm, the healer of those who have been hurt. It is this cloud of witnesses. I'm not talking about the Cubs anymore. I'm talking about the Christian cloud of witnesses who have taught us that despite our present circumstances, it will be well. All shall be well that despite the fear that we might feel and despite our desire to just go up the steps of life one step at a time, that it is our relationship with Jesus. We are invited to bound up and down the stairs of life, living fully free and open. It is the great cloud of witnesses that testifies that we worship the one who brings healing and wholeness. And so on this day, I give thanks. Thank you, God, for this great cloud of witnesses who have shaped us and formed us and taught us to walk forward in faith and not in fear. Thank you, God, for this great cloud of witnesses that have taught us to give our pain, and our fear to Jesus so that he can transform it and so that we will not be like the disciples who transmit it.
Thank you, God, for the great cloud of witnesses that include those who have died that we know and those who have died that extend all the way back to St. Teresa of Avila and Julian of Norwich and St. Augustine and St. Peter and Paul and Mary and all those who don't even have names. Thank you, God, that they buoy us and remind us that you are ours and we are yours. Amen.